Welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. Well, I was, uh, as I was waiting for you to uh, log on to our recording here, I, I was on Facebook and I see it's your anniversary. Congratulations to you and Susan. Thank you, sir. This week. Yeah, yeah it is our anniversary. I haven't spent much time on Facebook, so I just jumped on there to, to do some gloating. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, we, we've got a big day planned or big night. We're actually going to spend time without family, just the two of us. So that'll be oh, sweet. Well, thank you, Susan, for sharing him with uh, all of the listeners today so we could get our recording in. I hope you guys have a, a great day celebrating. She's working. She's working. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, stay out of my hair. We're, we're doing our thing tonight. <laughs> exactly. I can do that tonight. All right. So how how's everything going with you? How's this heat uh, treating your your process out in the studio? Sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's awful. Um, there's a reason we moved to North and this ain't it. It was 90, <laughs> 98 yesterday here mm-hmm. uh, as far. You know, we're almost to Fargo. That's how, how far North we are. And yeah, it's it's awful. I, I'm lucky and thankful that I don't have a show, you know, during all of this. We've definitely experienced all of that. Been, okay. on the, been on the asphalt during those kind of things, but I, I can't get any work done. So, I mean, it's tough for us, obviously, as glass blowers, oh, because my God. our studio is hot when it's 70 degrees outside, but when it's near 100 degrees, we have to get creative. So, our, um, our time in the studio is before the sun comes up. Yeah, I am looking at some of that, but it, luckily it's going to be back in the 70s tomorrow. So, we'll be able to get a big, big day in. Hey, I, we shouldn't talk about, uh, as R.E.M. said, we shouldn't talk about the weather. We shouldn't talk about the government. That's not what we do here on the podcast, but it's it not. is integral to to what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. You know what? I picked up one of those mechanic uh, AC units that just blows directional. So it has like a, a cool air hose, but it's still just dumping hot air still out into the studio. But you can at least blow it, blow it on you. I know earlier this summer you were saying that. You know, the flies were bad, so you had to work with the door shut. Are you at least able to have breeze going, or no. are you pretty much in a tight, <laughs> sealed-up yeah, container? <laughs> no, I, I got a couple of big panels in, and I unpacked them to try to work on uh, something big tomorrow. And I uh, just ordered ordered some some new panels and, and uh, just like a clean piece of paper. So I'm excited mm-hmm. about that, but cool. um, I opened up the door and it just filled with flies. And these Minnesota flies, just they like to land on you and just be on you and then, and just just eat your sweat. They're just nasty, nasty little yeah. bastards. You you need to have one of those tails behind you like a horse and swat at it while you're working. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I just don't do it. I just suffer in the, you know, I just. <sighs> it's a stuff. All right. Let's. Um. So yeah. last week we were we did or two weeks ago. I can't believe it's been been such a short amount of time. Good Lord. No people, what do you want from us? <laughs> um, no, but last time we uh, recorded, we recorded this emerging artist thing, and we've actually had we had so many questions and had a lot of follow up and some things. And some that, of them we didn't even get to. Right. I mean, we got through the list and we're like, oh wait, we didn't talk about that or that. And then we had a few more comments. We actually have enough information that we could chat for a whole nother episode. So that's what we're going to do. So let's um, yeah. more more you and me. Let's just stroke that ego for a while. Good Lord. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, before we go into talking about uh, those questions, I mean, there are some things I wanted to kind of touch base about the past couple of weeks going on creatively and that sort of thing, if that's OK with you. No. No. All right. Go for it. All right. Not. No. No more. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I just want to say that since yesterday, I have just been kind of reeling about, you know, the loss of Sinead O'Connor. I don't know uh, if she's one of your favorites or not, but she certainly has made a difference in my life. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. That was that was really a big bummer. I never uh, I never was a big fan, but I was a you know, that that Prince song that she did, Nothing Compares to You, was was all over the radio airwaves. And Mm -hmm. I was such a snotty mm-hmm. I don't like that <laughs> well I agree I understand because that that wasn't the song that hooked me with her in fact I thought you know that was really overplayed and all that kind of stuff I mean it, it was, was a great a brilliant hit. track yeah but I guess when she kind of came onto my radar which everybody's been talking about for the last 24 hours was when she ripped up that that picture of the Pope on, mm. on SNL and they're like oh she ruined her career and all this stuff well that was that was right when I was in college and starting to you know kind of form different opinions than the tribe that raised me. Sure. And I grew up in a very strong Catholic family. My parents both come from very large families. They both have like 10 and 12 kids. Right. And every one of them is Catholic. And it was in in my college years when I really started to develop my own thoughts towards Catholicism. So you're you're what you're saying is that you're you're swinging from weather and I said no politics and you're going into Catholicism. That's that's what we're I touching am. on today. <laughs> I, 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 I seriously am because, you know, it really shaped me. And yeah. I remember when that happened, talking to some friends in college and saying, you know, like what's you know, everyone says she's so angry, you know, and that's whatever all my family would say with, you know, the Catholics would say she's just so angry. Mm. And then somebody said, well, maybe she has something to be angry about. Maybe as an artist, she has something to say about that anger. Yeah, that's really interesting as, as far as like the, it's what what makes a difference in our lives and, and what dictates even our, you know, our thought process and our art. And, and um, it's amazing the different artists and what the what what kind of impact they have on on our lives. You know, talking about mental illness back in those days, that was kind of like groundbreaking. And I I feel like nowadays it's not any easier, but at least we have the ability to t- to acknowledge and talk about mental struggles and not have it be so taboo. Sure. Thankfully. Well, I've got to say that lately, I've been kind of all over the place. I mean, the heat has not been helpful. My stresses, my anxiety have come in getting ready for this next set of shows because my foot is just not getting any better. And so I'm like been in my head a mm. lot. And I just feel like as artists, how we feel internally really affects our ability to make work and to function and to move through the universe in a peaceful, easy way. It's something that we should maybe talk about at some point, uh, maybe have a guest or amongst ourselves. That's yeah, a great topic. What, the, what it's about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how we deal with our struggles is a is a huge thing. And maybe that's a great topic to to bring up with another guest. If you if you guys out there have any ideas on how we could further that talk or or ways we could bring up the the mental uh, health struggle that we all kind of go through from time mm-hmm. to time, whether it's um, good old fashioned self-loathing or your your classic alcoholism <laughs> you in the hotel go. lobby. It just is what it is, right? I mean, it's it's something we all kind of face. It is. And when it comes down to to what you just mentioned about alcoholism, for example, I mean, those are strategies to cope, right? I mean, sure. we all we all come up with things either healthy or unhealthy that get us through challenges, that get us off to the next show, that get us out of bed in the morning, whatever that may be. You know, I'll tell you one thing that helped me this week with with kind of getting in my head with stuff. Two things, actually. The first one was I saw the Sean White documentary on Max. Okay. Man, 
he is an inspiration. I mean, I wouldn't say I've been a fan of his over the years. It hasn't really registered much on my on my radar. I mean, I've known about him, but this documentary just about the extremes he put himself into to achieve his goals Mm. are just so crazy. And I have to say that as an art fair artist, I can relate on some level. The risk is so high out there for what we do. It is. Um, And we talk about that calculated risk all of the time. And, you know, whether it was facing, you know, traffic accidents or or even when we faced COVID, it was all just part of the calculated risk. And um, Mm -hmm. that does have a tendency to take a toll. I mean, I feel like the financial struggle or the financial hole that we got ourselves into starting this and from time to time we find ourselves in again, you have to have kind of a strong mental core to be able to weather those <laughs> to be able to weather that 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 force or that that tension that that you're pushing up against. But, you do. Um, you really do. Yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, how sometimes uh, Facebook can or uh, social media can kind of be that doom scrolling thing that takes you, you know, in a yeah. downward spiral. Right. I actually had something come across my my feed. The algorithms must have knew I needed a little pick me up because uh, Jeff Goldblum came came across me a video yeah. of him. Have you ever heard the video of him uh, quoting George Bernard Shaw? No. This quote is brilliant. It was, well, I think it's brilliant, and it totally like it. It gave me the pep talk I needed, and it, it kind of got me out of my head. Uh, and if you'll indulge me, it's kind of a long one, but I'd like to read it for the. Um, sure. For the episode here. So um, George Bernard Shaw, playwright, um, he's also, I would say, kind of a philosopher and, and an intellectual. Yeah. And so here's his quote. He says, this is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it what I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch that I have to hold on to for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. That's amazing. I mean, how applicable is that to us and what we do? It 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 totally got me out of that, like wanting just to sit down in the middle of my studio and just not move anymore and just be like, "Fuck this!" You know, <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm sick of standing on this this foot that hurts. It's been a little bit of a rough couple of weeks here. I, you know, it's funny you were talking about the mental health and and the women's rights and and Sinead O'Connor, and I did have something to to bring into. Saw Barbie yesterday. Um, okay, too I saw that to, too. Loved yeah, it. it was too hot to work. So we went to see Barbie. And um, I thought it was hilarious that apparently there are people have it that have problems with it because it really is just like, you know, it's just kind of a power women movie, uh, yeah. which I didn't expect. I thought it was hilarious. And um, it's just a good, good time. So I did not think it was going to have a message. You know what I mean? I didn't think I, th- yeah. I thought it was just going to be kind of this farce. Right. And it was, but it had a point, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it was hilarious. So I, I really enjoyed that. So that's there's my recommendation for, you know, I we will go see Oppenheimer, but we had the kids mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, we did not want to. It's funny, though. It didn't seem like the kind of movie you want to have, like um, a little girl's birthday party. No. Uh, but that was that's what 
was in the theater for us, it was like a packed house and there were like two or three little kid, little girl birthday parties. <laughs> okay. There. I was like, oh, hi. When I found out that Greta Gerwig was the writer and the director and all of that stuff with it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be something that I wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah, so I was pretty totally. Um, yeah. yeah. She did Lady Bird, and um, mm-hmm. if you're fans of that movie, what was the uh, other one that she did? That's the only one I know. I can't remember. I would have yeah. to yeah. take yeah, a Google break it yourself, Google it. folks. Google, Google it. it. Find out what else she's done. She's a smart, nuanced director. I think she's awesome. Yeah, so. and a, she's a lady director. She's a lady director. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a director. Sorry, that's a joke, folks. <laughs> your pitchforks away. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. So I've started using the events list feature in Zap to search up some different shows to fill those holes in my schedule. You know, I feel like I should have something to say, but I wasn't really listening to you because I'm looking at the events list right now. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So you drop the menu down and there at the bottom, go scrolling all the way about third thing down in the smaller print it just says events list that's right all of the shows appear here regardless of their application deadline you can use the filtering and the sorting to narrow down your search so that you can find that right show that fills your desired time frame or location i know a lot of people love that calendar i like seeing the list of events i like scrolling through and doom scrolling late at night (laughs) it's like online dating they don't let you swipe left or right but you can figure out who you want to date in the coming up year (laughs) And uh, speaking of Googling things, you don't have to Google things anymore, folks. You can just ask your good pal, Douglas and Will. So uh, here we are for your 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 emotional support and your artistic queries. Um, Once again, we said this last week, and I feel a little weird answering questions sometimes because this is just two people uh, drawing on our experience. And certainly there are many different ways to uh, kind of kind of build your own wheel but if you don't want to reinvent the wheel every time we do have some experience that you can kind of draw on and some of these answers that we're giving you uh this week and last uh episode are things that we've we've learned from other people too so they're not just Mm -hmm. our own words but they're they're the words from our peers and and our own mentors so um take it with a grain of salt right yeah, and some of the questions too. I when I read them, I thought to myself, "Oh, this wasn't ever anything that I I looked that deeply into. It's just was my experience." And then I would mm-hmm. read it and go, "Oh, I'm I'm kind of curious what Will has to say about it." You know, I might anticipate yeah. what you would say about it, and coming <laughs> from a you know who you this are. This was hilarious. And, yeah, yeah. I, I have coffee with with my lovely wife every morning, and we were having coffee and uh, hanging out on on the back deck, and just talking and and we're talking about the one there was one question that um that they asked that she took me to task for she was like i gotta admit here i i agree with douglas on this one and i'm like okay yeah yeah but the whole thing where it's like well listen to your customers and listen to your client base when they're saying something Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're trying to tell you something and um she was like you know a lot of times they just have stupid things to say and uh, also sometimes in my booth sometimes people come in just to be mean and tell me they don't like my work so i'm not sure exactly how i i could turn that into a positive but um well that's interesting i'm i'm glad we're kind of jumping back into that cuz there was something else i i did think about with that and that is um sometimes renee and i've talked about this the people go out for one at 
one reason, right? They go to a show maybe because they're lonely or they need inspiration or they're looking for an event to do, but they're they're not their primary intention is not to go home with anything. Mm-hmm. And so you might find yourself in a conversation with somebody that feels like it's going nowhere, but they just needed a friend to talk to. Sure. But there have been so many times where we've actually converted somebody like that into a sale. You know, so you just really never know where things go. You can't shut things down all too quickly. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I'll, sometimes, and I find this in the like the the deep or like the polite South, you know, mm. like the the deeper, you know, sometimes like even at like an artosphere in South Carolina. Yeah. Where it's like a very Southern town and uh, Southern city. And they feel apologetic for not buying something. So they that's it's like they they sound just like a beeback and then they turn not into a beeback at all. They're just, you know, they're they just want you talking. to excuse them, right? They want to feel okay that you're okay that they're leaving and not buying something. Right, which is why some <laughs> artists call the um the business card the get out of booth free card because ah. they're like, "Oh, can I get a card?" And it's like, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, they can pretend that they're going to think about it or talk about it later, and a lot of times they do want to think about it and and pick up something later. Is that how the, my card ends up in the porta potty sometimes? <laughs> oh, bottom. I see your cards in the wind, my friend. When we were across the street, they come over to my booth and drop your cards. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. What are You're they trying doing? to convert them? You're like, lose that glass postcard. Oh, it's time God. to buy some of my work. <laughs> hey, speaking of your work again, and um, did you find there was something slightly Sigworthian uh, in the uh, weird Barbies apartment? Kate McKenna's apartment, there was a glass structure that was in the corner. I was like, that looks a little bit like one of your towers. uh, uh, It was glass. So, uh, yeah, thank you for noticing that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But uh, no, it's it's kind of modeled after what Chihuly does with his uh, with his squiggly bulbousy thing. But um, on to other things here, sir. Let's uh, do you want to hit us with the first question of the week? Yes. Yes. Um, It actually kind of comes back to. Something we talked about last week about all these opportunities that that you get presented. And sure sure enough, right after I brought that up, I got an email from a show called the Incognito Arts Show offering me an opportunity to be a part of a show of unknown artists. It sounded Mm. very tempting, Will. (laughs) Well, um, congratulations on that, sir. I um. You can't die from exposure if you don't expose yourself. So it made me think about other types of opportunities that get presented to us that are either kind of like scams or the whole exposure thing that maybe we could talk about a little bit. Um, So I went on this. I looked up a website for this show, which didn't have a website. It didn't have artist lists. I mean, so it was a pretty quick no for me. But but their um, their pitch sounded like they were trying to figure out what an artist might want to hear so that they could, you know, have a good old-fashioned art fair. Yeah. And I, yeah. So anyway, there's that. Uh, can you think of any other opportunities that people present us with that are really not opportunities that we should steer away from? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big fan of these um, these art books and things. Get your work out there. These pay-to-play. Um, that right. happens a lot in the music industry, and that's where that kind of term comes from for me. Um, there are a couple of different galleries that want you to not only exhibit your work, but pay to exhibit with them, like in, in an art Basel situation. You have to be oh. very careful with those those uh, kind of 
opportunities because yeah. some of them are just groups trying to get money off of you. I'm I'm always super skeptical of of the groups that that um have us as their only source of income or have the arts as their mm. only source of income. So be careful of of that. Be skeptical. There are galleries in Manhattan and you know, who doesn't want their work in a gallery in Manhattan when they first right. start out? It sounds out? very tempting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's just not um the opportunity that you think it is it's it's they see somebody with the arts and they're like oh well they want it you want to be here why don't you just pay and, and then it's the exposure is is not that great it's mm-hmm. it's um just something to to watch out for if it sounds too good to be true it's always too good to be true yeah there's this other thing too where a lot of times like like charitable events will want to base their whole event around like a silent auction and they'll ask us to donate stuff for the sense of exposure and whenever they say it's really great exposure because it's it's very wealthy people who are going to be coming but in our experience or my experience i should say um anytime i've done something like that the work is sold for pennies on the dollar I've never heard from the person again. I mean, if they could get it for a third of the price for something nice to sit on their mantle, and then they go to your website and say, I want to buy something else, and they see how much it really costs, it, it's just kind of a disconnect. You know, it, it's just not the right venue for trying to get your work out there to be seen. Well, or, um, you know, check out, like I've, I mentioned on our previous episode, what mm-hmm. other artists have done it. And then you mm-hmm. can go out and, and actually ask them. So All right. see who has done it in the past. And and to be honest, the Temple Bethel show that happens down near in Tampa is one of my my favorite events. Those the early part of the year events. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorites, but it yeah. is set up similarly. Well, they take a cut. They take. um you know, they they it sounds a little bit like a pay to play, but it absolutely is not. It's a gallery setting that they turn their entire synagogue into a gallery and it's a gorgeous thing. And it, it's it's a wonderful event. But if you just read the thing and you're like, man, maybe this is a, is something, you know, all these different things that are presented to us that if you're skeptical about it, the easiest way around it is to check out last year's event and see who participated you see somebody in there that you know, or you see somebody in there that you'd like to know, just go to their website, check them out and shoot them a, a quick email. And, and hey, we are generally a pretty, pretty giving group and like, hey, what do you think about this event? And well, yeah, we'll let you know, right? Mm-hmm. And if if a show is transparent about putting stuff out there, who's in it, like you said, and you can reach out to them, then you know that they are, you know, it's not like they're trying to work really hard to get people to to be a part of it it you know what i mean it's it's yes. like it's like they're proud of who's involved and they're proud right. of putting it out there so think of it that way that the marketing that they're doing for their artists is it, it, it it's not like they're desperate that's yeah. the whole point it, it's something that is, is it's like you want to be a part of it uh this may be kind of obvious this next one in that is uh but if you're a new artist you might not know this but they we get inundated with and I don't know how they get our get our emails, but we get inundated with requests to buy attendance emails. <laughs> <laughs> so like we could send out a mass email to people right, supposedly right. for a show. And it's like, oh, great. I have like 10,000 names that are going to come to my booth. Right. That's that a is lie. a big old scam. That is a big <laughs> lie. <laughs> yeah, that's nothing. That is. Uh, 
Yeah, and don't even don't even email them back and and troll them. They're, they're it just encourages more of that stuff happening. So that yeah, that's that's a quick and easy one. Be like, right. hey, you can you want to skip Old Town this year? Well, we've got the client list. We've got them so, all. Yeah, for they you. don't. No. Yeah. Uh, also, bullshit. same thing. Uh, there are trolls out there trying to troll us um, for uh, hotel bargains and things like that oh, that, that aren't that necessarily one. true. So there are a lot of scams, a lot of different emails, and the scammers are getting better and better too. So yeah, um, be super careful. There, there is also another one out there where where um, it's a similar one that I found to. Uh, singer songwriters that that kind of hack away at a living and and um you know i i want you to write a love song for my wife or something like that that's oh. that's a scam and that's now happening and doing a crossover into portrait work um so you have to watch out if they sound like a scammer they are a scammer uh, more often than not so so check that out you can do a quick search on on anything but and that's um, another good one like we talked about going on to any of the facebook artist groups and just before you respond put put the question out to the community and maybe you'll get 10 people back right away and go oh i got that one too that's you know so then they can (laughs) it might be a good resource to hear back on it could be a good resource it's also a really good way to have david bierstrom laugh at you (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna make fun of you real quick and then that then you'll know right then it's it's good that's good uh i tease all right uh another thing this was funny i did go to a show where I had a a gentleman and his lovely family, like everything about him in person seemed like the, um, like a scam, but I was like, I'm, but I'm meeting you and you, you just picked out the piece and I'm literally shipping this to Saudi Arabia and you paid for, but he paid for the shipping and he, did he say he was looking over his wife's shoulder and she was admiring your works (laughs) on the computer? I mean, it kind of did. Yeah. She's the one that saw it first. I'm like, I am noticing that my wife really loves your work. Uh, it is our anniversary and I work for us. He did. He worked for a Saudi Arabian prince. Wow. Um, and he was a, he was their music teacher. Okay. So anyway, I got the, I got the money. It's still, that was a real one. A couple of years. Yeah. So sometimes they actually may seem scammy, but they are real. So yeah. (laughs) Do your due diligence, but, but don't, don't get burned. Um, all right. right. Um, I've got a quick one from sure. the same emerging artist that had questions last time. You know, where do you get your 10, et cetera? And, and this was about payment, how to cool. take payment. And it's a dual question. Um, yeah, take all forms of payment. There's an easy, there's your easy answer. Take, yeah, they want to give you, you money, take it. <laughs> yeah. You want to take cash, take cash. You want to take checks. Um, some people are worried about the checks, but I'm not, I, I take them as well. Um, just get all of their information and and whatnot and all the different credit cards. And if the credit card fees are too high, then you haven't priced your work uh, properly. Uh, credit right. card fees should never be a, an issue for taking taking something. So right. um, go ahead and go ahead and do that. Yeah. Uh, the other part, uh, do you uh, I will ask this to you, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you list the price of your work in your booth? And you have the title and the price and everything written out in your booth. And how do you display it? Um, Well, uh, we used to use a method that I would not recommend, um, which was I would do little price stickers on our our work itself. Okay. And at some point uh, in my mind, I felt like it cheapened the work um, for a 3D artist. Um, obviously a painter 2D is going to do something different for how you price it. But I felt like 
it, having like a little handwritten sticker or even a printed out sticker on the actual work itself, it cheapened it. It made it look like a product. Okay. So I, um, I use a labeler and I print out a price and I mount it on foam core and I put either it mounted to the wall next to the item if it's a hanging piece or I right. have it onto the pedestal, it gives it a little bit, it elevates it in my mind so that it makes it more like you're in a gallery, even though we're out on the street. Right. Uh, another way to handle that, if you do use uh, the, like the fabric wrapped panels that are the kind of the carpet wrapped pro mm-hmm. panel style mm-hmm. panels, what's really nice I found is that the, um, well, quick answer to your question. Yes. Price it because mm-hmm. it cuts out so many of the, the conversations that you're going to have with people that can't afford your work mm-hmm. or that, that don't really want it. Cause they're just going to ask you how much and you're just going to have to tell them. So might as well have it there. Mm-hmm. I like to have a little more about each piece. I like to write something about the piece and then I write the price underneath it. Uh, another tip is that I always add, the double zeros of the cents with a line under it, um, because you would be really surprised mm-hmm. at how many people are like that like to make the, you know, is this three hundred and twenty dollars? I'll take it. It's yeah. like no, it's thirty two hundred dollars. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah, uh, you just give uh-huh. them the deadpan hmm, smile. Well, it just and keeps nod. you in like, that. Oh. And again, that's another one that throws you off your game, right? Yeah. Anything that can keep us from saying yeah, whatever, asshole. You know, in our right. head, it's I don't like, even want to think it. Yeah. Right. So, so price it. Yeah, absolutely price it. Put the cents on there so that they don't say something dumb um, or get confused and be super clear. I've also seen some artists that I just super respect, uh, people that we've had on the show, do uh, more of a gallery setting. Helen Gottlieb does this. Uh, mm-hmm. Her husband, Dylan, does this as well. Uh, Dylan Straczynski does this with his amazing work as mm-hmm. well, where it's a you do a price list that's just mounted in one area. And then oh. when something sells, you can just put a red dot. And if you're having a great show that can, that can really make, you know, make things kind of exciting for the customers as well uh, to feel like yeah. they've entered a, a big gallery show. I think that's a nice way to handle it. There's a lot of ways to do it. And uh, you mentioned this, mentioned this last week that I thought about and wanted to respond to is somebody had said to you about, you don't want the work to look the booth to look picked over if you sell out you've somehow failed or whatever that whole idea right. and at some point in my career i was walking a show and i saw somebody who had red dots on the wall next to pieces and obviously it was something they were going to deliver so they were going to keep it hung sure. and they maybe didn't have other pieces in the back and honestly it created a buzz in me like they've got four red dots in here there's three pieces left and it's like right. oh my god they're hot and it made me want to buy something, even though I had no intention of That's that. That's funny. And I think that that does translate to the collectors, that sense of this is a really hot artist here. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm not sure if I finished this uh, this thought, but the fact that if you got a pro panel, the, the, the jagged side of Velcro uh, mm. fits to that really well. So if you want to make little placards, um, you just stick this on the back of the placard and it just sticks right to the fabric. Right. Um, so that's an interesting way to handle it since I another, you know, I talked about how dumb I was in wrapping my booth in, in wood and, and aluminum mm-hmm. channel. It doesn't stick to it anymore. So I have to mount it to the back of the piece and mm-hmm. have it stick out a little bit, which is does not mm-hmm. look quite as sexy. But um, well, I, I don't I'll turn you on to some handy tack. That's what I use, like the poster tack. And you can okay. just stick it right in there and it sticks through the whole weekend and you don't have to. Well, 
Yeah, that works for some. Unfortunately, with the wood, I sealed it with oil. So it's, oh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's got an oil. So it, it's really great in the rain. Doesn't, you can't yeah. stick anything to it. So your booth um, looks really good, about, even though it's heavy, Will. It looks really good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, oh, it's, it's great. No it's one cares. <laughs> yeah, no one cares. Doesn't, doesn't help sales. Uh, I ripped my shoulder up. But, oh, dude. Right. Um, uh, so sh- quick shout out to our, our good friend, Sarah Bean <laughs> yeah. said, she's the one actually that said, if you, if you sell it all, you've failed, you either haven't priced it. So she, she reminded oh, me of that. She's like, I think that was go. me. And I'm like, that was totally you. So shout out to our, our good buddy there. I had a, I thought it was somebody else who shall remain nameless. So, um, I don't think Sarah was all that offended by that or if she's no, listening. I don't think you can offend her. Honestly, that's what's so great about her. Um, unoffendable. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what? Here's another tip for you, Douglas, uh, yeah. real quick, since we were talking about the fabric uh, wrapped panels mm-hmm. and the, the Velcro that actually works really well. If you have lightweight paintings, mm-hmm. I know some artists have just mounted those on the back and, and stapled them to the back of their pieces and just throw the work right up stick? on the wall. Like squick, just oh, stick it up there cool. on the wall. Also, when it's super windy, I put little tabs, used to put little tabs on the backs of my paintings and it would stick right to the wall and it keep it keep the wind from flapping up under it. So that's another another tip for that's you. That's good. Good deal. Right. Next. Next we have um a question about somebody who's done art shows. They like doing art shows, but they don't want art shows necessarily to be there only funnel you know yeah chris chris dahlquist has talked about that exactly who i was going to bring up yeah about having multiple funnels so maybe we can talk a little bit about other opportunities that can round out an art show artist's career or way of making money sure um do you want to handle that one first uh sure how about or do you um, want me to jump in well i think maybe the most obvious one that comes to my mind is working with galleries um, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably have more. I haven't worked with galleries for years just because I hate them. No, I don't hate galleries. I love <laughs> galleries. Uh, certain galleries I'd love to work with. Sure. But, I, but anyway, uh, why don't you talk a little bit on galleries a bit? Uh, yeah. I, you know, the galleries only work for you if you're comfortable taking 50% for the price of your work. Mm-hmm. So if you're comfortable doing that, if your work is priced at a certain point that you can take it for wholesale, um, the problem is like you can't say you can't charge more for a piece and be like okay if i have a piece that's three thousand dollars and if you sell it to the gallery for three thousand dollars they're going to charge six thousand dollars for it in their space so mm-hmm. really they're, they're they have to in order for it to make sense in order to price your work at the same you've got to price it at like say fifteen hundred dollars and then they price it at three thousand dollars so you have to make sure if you are dealing with galleries that you have priced your work even at art shows to be wholesale. You're saying your work needs to retail price match their retail price, yes? Yeah, it can't be drastically different or it just confuses your audience or it pisses somebody off and you're going to have somebody come and talk to you. If you've, you're like, I bought this painting from a gallery. It was $6,000 and I mm-hmm. see you selling the same or similar piece for 3000 It pisses the gallery off too that you're undercutting. Exactly. Them. Uh, so you have to have a good relationship with your galleries in order. What I was saying is that in order to sell, like if you are going to be comfortable selling at galleries, mm-hmm. then you have to be priced on the street at a point where you'd be willing to take half exactly. of what you're offering. Mm-hmm. And that, that is hard for some people because some art fair artists 
really fluctuate. They will go how the market will bear. They might change their prices from show to show. They might, you know, change it from region to region. And you kind of have to have some sense of stability across your website, across the gallery, across what you're showing on the street to keep all of the different people who are representing you happy. Consistency. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Consistency and pricing. You don't want a collector coming back to see you the following year and seeing a similarly sized piece for much less. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, how come this one cost $5,000 when I gave you $8,000 last year? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I do feel like you if and this goes for driving your prices up too. there's really not any going back. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. OK, so we we drifted into pricing, um, but let's come back to uh, the whole funnel, the whole funnels, okay, the cool. pros and the cons. So we, we talked about the gallery and how we would price right. with working with the gallery. My question to you is with glass. When I worked with galleries, we did wholesale pricing, but we got payment up front or we would set up terms. I know that 2D, when you're working on higher priced items, do you typically work on a, like it sells like a consignment type basis? Is that how you work with most galleries or do you work with payment? If they have it in their gallery, they pay for it. Yeah. With big, with big ticket items, uh, I do consignment. Okay. Um, So it sits in a gallery and I don't typically stay with those galleries unless it sells and I know it's going to sell. And I, I can find that out pretty quick. I tried. Uh, unfortunately, I tried one of my favorite galleries. I was accepted with those guys. He he sought me out and um, had my work there, and it just didn't work, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to be there, so that was a bummer. But after, I don't know, I gave it like three to six months, and I asked him if it was still hanging. And I was like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just not the right thing for your space. So mm-hmm. um, that was kind of a drag, but just be aware of it. You have an idea of how quickly your work sells on the street and if it's not moving in the gallery then then be honest with those guys and and keep up it's tricky i you know look at the artists that are there and you can always ask people hey what is your experience with this gallery do they pay on time right do they you know have you ever shown up at the gallery and had a painting not there and ask them about it and it's like do they show your work you have to have a very honest working relationship. And, and luckily, I've, I've had that with, with a couple of galleries that I've worked with. Okay, so that's galleries, right? So the pros and cons with galleries, what would you say? Um, pros are they sell it for you. Um, and, and, you mm-hmm. know, and the, the, the more I've had galleries, the more I've, I've felt, and, and my galleries maybe wouldn't like hearing this, but, um, you know, they always want you to share your mailing list. They want you to share your things. I don't really... I don't really do it that way. I kind of let them mm. take care of their own people. And I'm sure. super helpful as far as like if they want to talk to a client, hey, can I zoom you in and we talk about this piece? But when they're like, send us your mailing list, I'm like, no, that's mine. You use yours. I've already, mm-hmm. I don't want, you know, I, these are the people that are going to come talk to me at, at shows. Why would I share that? So uh, that is definitely another con in the sense that. Some galleries don't want you even doing shows near them. They kind of want their little mm. nexus of of who their people are, you know? Great point. Um, that's just something to think about if you're going to work with galleries. Absolutely. And and I'm glad you said that because that was the last point I was going to make um, when you mentioned that. Look, uh, be, be especially careful. If you see a gallery that you create a relationship with that comes to see you, you know, they discover you at a show. 
you know, and then they want you to sign their their paperwork. Some of those things have a have a do not almost like a do not compete clause in those galleries. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called um, what is it called? Uh, not in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Right. I mean, it's like yeah. an exclusivity. And so, I mean, and that yeah. makes sense if it's like you don't want to have your work uh, three blocks away and competing with their, you know, with their competitors. Yeah. But you have to make sure that it's written so that you were like, look. I'm coming back to the show. I'm showing here, here, and here. And so they all know that about me, that I'm going to be coming back to these shows. Unless you just feel strongly enough about the gallery that, you know, that they're making it up. And it's like, look, you're mm-hmm. going to make you're gonna make me uh, X amount of dollars in three days like this show is? Because if you're not, then I'm not signing this. So make sure you're careful right. with the wording. For sure. All right. Um, another kind of funnel that people look to is online. So you've got like social media, you've got no. website. Never heard of it. Not sure. Never, 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 no. never. <laughs> I don't know. What are you talking about? Yeah, but uh, well, I hate, I hate online. I mean, how do you feel about online? Um, I mean, I don't hate it. I like, uh, I mean, I do reproductions, so I've got those. So sometimes mm. I get these little, um, these little gift sales that, that come through and I'm like, it's, it's work that I don't have to re you know, I don't have to think about again. Um, sure. So it Super can make easy money to ship. for me. Yeah. The order comes in, boom, out they go. Right. And if you get to a certain place and you can have somebody else do it for you, then uh, go for it. Who cares, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like uh, um, if people have reproductions and they're selling them um, and they have somebody else ship them for them, do you do you feel like that's um, all of a sudden are you are you cutting into production gallery mode or yeah mm. um what what kind of what kind of line of the sigworths walk on that i haven't i guess i haven't ever formed an opinion on it just because it's such a different a different medium than yeah. what we do there's no way i can have a shelf full of stuff that is a photocopy of or i'm i'm just you know if that's probably Sigworth. not the right word, but it's a, it's a, what's that? If you Sigworth, call myself yeah, right. a photocopy. It is. Yeah. Right. Nothing that I can press a button and have, you know, something that sure. is made for me uh, based where... on what I've already done. So right. um, I guess I don't mind if it's a 2D artist and that that's their thing and it's online. It's not like it's at a show where we're like kind of all on e- an equal footing sort of thing. I feel like uh, three-dimensional glass is super hard to translate in photographs or in a video or, or you know, on right. photos or whatever. Sure. So I feel like our, our website doesn't do it justice. And I also feel like when I do use social media for selling our work, it's more like a portfolio right. because it, when I'm in my booth, I can't show when I do installations because the booth is a small, it's a smaller footprint. Right. But then people can like if they like what we do, go to our Instagram, they might be able then to see some bigger projects and get ideas or inspired for other opportunities. So yeah, I do I've, think it's important. I do too. I, I very rarely sell to somebody that hasn't seen me in person, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's just stumbling across my website and, and buy something. I, I feel like I never almost. Me either. Um, yeah. You know, unless they've seen me in person, it's an in-person business. So that's the whole reason to get out and do new shows and new markets and try to experiment. So, yeah. uh, all right. Yeah. That, that any any other sense. funnels you can think of that are good for people? Um, let's see. I mean, the really shows online. So shows and teaching in-person. people do workshops and and teach other artists or 
people who want to dabble. You know, yeah, teach that um, kind of thing. Chris Dahlquist is great about that. Marjolyn Vanderhart, both of those artists we uh, we had on the first season. Those those folks are are really good about selling in person. Um, the other one, uh, a huge one, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, and it's kind of the Dahlquist um, slash uh, Guyman slash lots of different people that are successful mm-hmm. is taking uh, a notepad full of leads and and having those leads that you you fill a little book and you say, Hey, this person likes this follow up mm-hmm. after I've created that piece. So I've, I've done that quite a bit more this year and, and had follow up with relationships with people and, and establishing those and sending them pictures of new pieces and be like, Oh man, I'm excited about this. I don't know if it's right for your space or not, but it, it creates a personal um, mm-hmm. relationship. That's good. Yeah. We'll come back to that here in a little bit because that what was one of the questions is about selling after the show to mm. people and how to kind of keep those alive. Yes. Um, but as for like other kind of ways of, that we can still be artists, maybe artist adjacent and make a living, you know, if, if people don't want to just necessarily do only art shows, maybe a handful of shows. Sure. Um, so like I was thinking, you you mentioned uh, Chris Dahlquist and, and people who teach workshops like Chris Kirsten Stingle, oh, um, yeah. she does these really awesome, like, she sets up these, like, travel opportunities where people can go to Europe with her and she'll teach, you know, different techniques with ceramics and, and telling stories. So we shouldn't undercut our ability to find other ways to make a living because we are creative in what we make, but then we can also translate that into other ways, I think. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sure. That's a, that's a great point. Um, yeah. I mean, we've had so many so many different artists that that uh, keep different irons in the fire and and mm-hmm. have ways to get their work out there. But um, you know, I the the way I personally look at it is just those kind of just kind of those three really. Mm-hmm. I mean, just face to face online and um, galleries. So galleries. Cool. I, our next question is about insurance and mm. I am uh I am uh, I'm going to ask you about that. How do the Sigworths handle insurance? Are you insured if a storm comes in or if just just if you happen to send a, a projectile through um through a <laughs> through a nice little family and and uh <laughs> the last projectile uh-huh. not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how do you how do you guys handle that? Well, it's timely, actually, because I got the premium for our um, insurance uh, premium for this year, and it, like, more than doubled. And I'm like, ah, we're not insurance experts by any means. I don't know a freaking um, thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so wait till it's in- my turn. It's going to be real short. <laughs> go to your insurance uh, agent and have them talk you through it. But these are some of the questions you might want to ask somebody who knows what they're talking about anyway. Yeah. So um, when the shows, like we'll say, we need to have a certificate of insurance on file for you, what they're what they're really looking for is a liability. Well, if you hurt somebody at the show, then there's a blanket coverage because of your booth blowing over or your work hurting somebody, that sort of thing. Yeah, they're passing the buck because they used to cover it yeah. themselves and now they want us to. Yeah. I think I had like 10 certificates of insurance that I had to present this year, you know, yeah, for sure. the shows yeah, I do. I've, I've, yeah, typically. Um, here's here's my, my, my take on insurance. I, I only uh-huh. do it if they make me. Okay. If they have to show them the certificate, then I'll go and I'll get the little thing and I'll show them the thing. And I, 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 I grumble about it behind their back. I'm mm-hmm. terrible. 
I, I don't have any uh, <laughs> if advice. Somebody do you do in. just a per show? Like, will you do like the $25 per show premium or whatever? Or yep. How does that work? Yeah. Yep. Just with the with just with the uh, aftermarket. There's an organization out there that the shows often offer as as a as a catch all yeah. if you don't have a policy. Right. Um, so just, you know, look at whatever the show is telling you to, to do there as an option. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of lots of things, lots of choices out there for how to get your insurance. I hate insurance. There's a jingle for you. I just <laughs> made one. I just made it. My, I think it's a racket. My dad worked in, in insurance, and he did say it's basically a big Ponzi scheme. Oh, yeah. It's a huge racket. But uh, mm-hmm. they force you to do it. And so that's if you're going to have to do it, then then um, but I don't know. For- do it as cheaply as you can. But for those who take it who take it seriously and want to kind of like weigh all the pros and the cons, what you're really looking for, there's there's like there's a lot of different things you'd want to talk to your insurance agent about coverage. First of all, you're not going to your homeowner's insurance agent. That's not the same thing as business insurance. And like what we get is liability, you know, in case some somebody gets hurt. And then you get Inland Marine, which covers your artwork if it's destroyed. Does it? it it does. Well, you guys get that? We do get that. All right. And Inland Marine also covers stuff like your display and your tent and replacement value. Huh. Now, here's what's tricky. You need to talk to your insurance agent about this aspect of it. And that is some insurance companies will only, and they don't tell you this till after you're trying to file a claim, unless you ask up front, is will only cover the, what's it called, the material values of the artwork? Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. And so that is like the, that's the stinger right there. It's like they won't pay full retail value. Our insurance company does pay full retail value. And maybe that's why their their premium doubled this year. I'm sure. (laughs) Good Lord. Glass out on the street. Do they know what you do? Of course. Of course they do. I mean, uh, it used to be a $1,300 a year policy, um, which we've never filed a claim on. But I did have that in case of... Let's say $50,000 worth of glass and $10,000 worth of display blew down the street, and we needed to make that up in order to go to the next show or to be ready. I mean, that's why we have it. Lots of people have it, and they love it. I've definitely had some friends get helped out uh, after disasters. Um, Mm -hmm. Me, I'll just have to paint it again. Because <laughs> I don't know. I God, I just I got screwed. So I'm I'm a bitter, broken man, Douglas. I am uh, in I've so, been many ways, so, oh, so, so many ways. So many ways. <laughs> so many ways. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll switch my Sesame Street character to Oscar the Grouch on this one and okay. defer to you, sir. So um, that's all the information you need on that. Um, but the other part of why we have it, too, and, and it. I mean, we could, I guess, a la carte pick and choose, but really the main reason we have it is we have a glass studio and things malfunction and we're heating things to 2000 degrees. So we need to protect ourselves in case there's ever a fire. You I don't think you do. need to worry about a fire out in your uh, out in your barn with a few, uh, you know, with some paintings leaning against the wall. I mean, uh, right? Yeah. You don't yeah, have that's... ovens. No, but I'm getting, you know, all of this talk is, is uh, you know, just going to karmically... 
kind of put a bullseye on you. <laughs> oh, yeah, the gas can that's over there next to the um, the lawnmower and the 102-degree heat index that we had yesterday and all this good stuff. Oh, so here's, here's how we deal with insurance. We stop thinking about it, right? <laughs> oh, I'd love to. I'd love to change the subject. Uh, you got one for me? What's the new question? Mo- moving on to the next one. We touched on this a little bit earlier about when we were talking about the galleries and keeping prices consistent with the oh, galleries, yeah. but there was a question about how do you price your work? How do you come up with a number? Right. And I know a lot of people do things. Um, it, I do it by size and I, I charge the same amount for every piece that's that's that. Say if I've got a six foot by four foot painting, mm-hmm. they're all the same price. Now, one of the paintings might take me four times longer um, while well, I price it to the point where I'm comfortable selling that super intricate painting, that is made up and evened out when I sell the less intricate uh, paintings. Mm. So if they're okay. all the same price, people don't bat an eye and they don't question it. And you can even tell them, yeah, this one took me a lot longer, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you, but focus on the fact, I don't know, that you're you're getting a deal. I don't I don't really tell people I don't I don't use car salesman right. language when i try when i'm selling my work um, it really devalues the work in my opinion because totally. the strength of the work is the creative element of it you know and right. so when we start getting into how long it takes how big it is all those sorts of things that are measurable right i think we lose people uh, on, also, on the fact yeah yeah i feel like i'm selling relationships too how cheesy sure. is that but i am yeah. making relationships with these these people and i'm i'm trying to get them to take uh, a piece home that they want to live with so i i Mm -hmm. I don't feel like i can hard sell them on that i do know that some people do um use sales techniques that kind of like you know what's your favorite piece do you have a space for it and it's like Mm. i have some dear friends that use that language and and to me it's a little uh mm-hmm. hard for me to say it i can't i, I have a i have a hard time feeling genuine if i'm using mm-hmm. that kind of language but like i've heard some people even say stuff like well if you buy it here at the show it's 20 percent less if you go to the website Ugh. i mean you know what i mean getting into all of those business things yeah I'm right for sure um i do i've got one that i'll use that's similar to that but we we're talking about pricing um sure, not necessarily because right. mm-hmm. we could do a whole show on sales and maybe right. we will um, I think it's important to know what your peers, not to copy pricing, but to just know that you're in the right range, not to undercut your peers or, absolutely. or try and shoot for higher. But you want to make sure you're not like completely out of the ballpark. Absolutely. And I do keep tabs on on some of my contemporaries and see what they're pricing things. And if they're um, and it's not just I definitely don't want to undercut anybody, but I don't think that necessarily exists because nobody mm-hmm. nobody's buying from me just because I'm a few hundred dollars cheaper or more expensive. They fall in love with the piece and then they want to want to do it. Yeah. Um, well, I, what do you think about? I'm sorry. Go ahead. We were going to say that. Well, I was just going to I was going to break down exactly how you can price it. Like if mm-hmm. you are in the studio and you have clear amount of time and you can time a piece and figure out how much you want to get paid per hour. Um, Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of started and I don't do that anymore. I basically, you know, what can you get? You want, you don't want it to be super easy. You you want it to hurt a little bit. How do you also feel about if the work is too inexpensive, that that is a bit of a turnoff to the collectors? Like maybe there's inherent value that we're losing by underpricing our work. A hundred percent agree. Uh, there's an artist out there that I really admire that, that so under 
values his own worth that I feel like he's costing himself not just per piece sales, Mm -hmm. but he's costing himself any sales because people start to wonder. They're like, well, Mm -hmm. where's the value? We're like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, this amazing thing. You're only charging $800 for it. And Mm -hmm. it looks like it took you a long time. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you start to question it. Um, Yeah. Because there are people out there that are buy-sell artists that are, are, are artists. They're, you know, they're at the. <laughs> they're at the, vendors. They're the vendors. Right. But you go to these cheaper, cheaper kind of county fair kind of shows and you have these um, people who are doing buy sell and these selling these trinkets. And, and they're like, you know, if it costs a dollar, you know, it was mass produced in China. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas that's when people start to question if it's if it's underpriced, they question the value. So don't don't sell mm-hmm. yourself short. Like the Zachmans were, were talking about in their talk that I had with them the last interview I did, they were saying that the collectors are trying to fill in the blanks to make you better. You know, that's where it kind of comes in with the the irritating questions or whatever. How long did it take you to make that? And if we present them with a price that is like a head scratcher, like so low, like it's too good to be true, that pierces the whole bubble of the value in their eyes of who we are and what we're making and why, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. We don't want to for the sake of just because we want to make a sale undervalue our own creativity and our own skills. Yeah, I love the point that point that they made um, that I thought that was a really good one. Yeah, the pricing is, you know, when you first start out as an emerging artist and you kind of look around, maybe you're not quite established yet. Maybe you can put a lower price tag on it and see where you want to go. I I love selling my work. Mm-hmm. I, I could probably charge a little bit more for it and slow down the 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 sales if mm-hmm. I wanted. But um, that's a personal decision each one of us has to make from you know moment to moment, right? So yeah, exactly. And the same thing in in stocking your booth, which we mentioned. And and this was another point that somebody had texted me and, and made that point. It's like, can you handle sitting around all day and not selling anything? Like, what kind of person are you? What kind of artist are you? I have, you know, there are plenty of people out there that only sell these gigantic, expensive things. Those are the only things that they sell. Well, you have to have a certain kind of character that is going to take to remain interested and excited about your work. By the end of a long, busy day while you're watching and selling all of your, seeing all of your friends sell all of this work in their booths. And it's like, well, your business model is set up for big numbers. And sometimes those big numbers, as Aaron Heckenberg says, are round. <laughs> Come with <laughs> you zeros? <know? laughs> you, you, yeah. You got to have big, you know, you could have a, you know, a great big zero just because it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, people aren't, aren't in the market for what you're selling and, and you don't have anything for the smaller um, the smaller sure. spaces. Hey, so you were just saying about, and this is leading into another question about selling relationships, right? They're, that they're buying a piece of you. Yeah. And that was one of the next questions is they, somebody's asking about that whole idea of how do I engage with customers? You know, it's like, do I sit inside the booth? Do I sit outside the booth? Do I say hi to everybody? What do I do when they come in the booth? Do I don't want to scare them away? So like, what's your take on it? Sitting? What's that? Oh, I know you're you're you hate that <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> I don't. I don't sit down. Sometimes I don't even bring a chair. I mean, I know that's not an option for most people, and sure. it's starting to become not an option for my feet. But mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I I rarely sit. I mean, I I keep a side panel open in my booth and I try to have even if there's you know, if I have an inline booth and not a corner, I still keep that back wall open and I'm walking in and out. I try to make sure that my booth doesn't feel claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so where do I sit or where do I set up? I'm all over the place and I, I'm moving around and I'm constantly talking, you know, mm-hmm. engage with people and I'm telling them that I'm not, you know, hey, I know you're engaging in the artwork. I'm not trying to breathe down your neck, but if you have any questions, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. Um, approachable. You know, I'm just making Mr. yourself approachable and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I'll use people that aren't interested in the work as much as the people that are, are being super shy and I'll talk to a kid about it and I'll tell them something super interesting. If the kid is, if a little kid is looking at my work, mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll talk to them and, you know, that makes the parents more agreeable to me right. and, you know, they're excited about that, but I might not be selling to them or I'll use like, you know, like a teenager who's like, whoa, this is cool. And you can be like, yeah, this is just this. And you, you never know who is listening right? when you're talking. So you might as well talk to this person if the other person isn't interested, then you can kind of tell whether they start to kind of warm up and then you can can seamlessly switch to the other person but it's kind of a it's like a a dinner party you're all and you're the host you're just constantly talking well i've i've um i've always before my my situation with my foot this past two years year and a half however long it's been have always been the kind of person who was on my feet moving around but i have had to resort to selling in my booth by sitting in a director's chair And I've Mm -hmm. had to learn kind of different nuances. And I learned pretty fast that sitting in my director's chair inside the booth and staring out at people as they walk in, you can see the pressure that that puts on them. Like, oh, he's looking at me. He wants me to do something. So I really try. I'm not looking at my phone, but I'm like, I may be engaged in something else. It's like they happen to come in and then I'd be like, oh, hey, and, and kind of do like you said, you know, the introduction or the let me know if you need something. I'm This is my work. You know, that's I'm glad you said that. I think you do a great job of that oh, uh, thanks. by remaining seated, um, but sitting up high mm-hmm. and not sitting in like a low chair where you're oh. kind of slumped down in the back of the booth. You you're angled in a certain way where you're kind of into the booth as opposed to sitting in the back and looking out at people you're yeah. kind of out in the thoroughfare and are very like you're you're kind of your posture is good you're at the kind of the front of your chair um you do a good job with that and and i Ex- know that standing and walking and doing all this is not an option for for everyone right. and i think that's a great point and the way you you handle that i think is is pretty expertly done and i i i had to figure that one out it took me a while um when i was in a like an inline 10 by 10 and i had my director's chair in the booth there was like no way to do like what you were talking about it was right. so people walk in and they look at me like and then they don't want to look at the work. They just want to turn around and walk out because suddenly they, they feel like they're like noticed. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. what are you gonna do? Um Right. And you don't want to be the vampire in the back of the shop either. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be sitting behind the wall and kind of duck your head out and be like, Hello. Let me know if you need to help. Yeah. I mean, it's just it is, it's like Dylan Straczynski said it. There's no way to sit back in, in the most comfortable reclining chair and and sell anything. Sure. It, it, there's no way to to, for people to take you seriously, you right. have to be, you have to take your booth seriously. You have to take your work seriously. And, and that in includes the way you sit. Mm-hmm. I um also want to say about that is it, 
it isn't so much necessarily about salesmanship as much as we've talked a, a little bit about this on both both episodes, but really making yourself approachable and noticing something that might be nice to talk about with them that is aside from the work in the booth. It's kind of just like getting to know people and letting them to get right. to know you and not having it be so obvious that you're desperate to sell something. You know, you kind of have to right. be back on, back a little bit and, and approachable and friendly and all that good stuff. Sure. Authentic. And do as I say, not as I do, because Camille Marchese was walking around uh, the last show that I was in, and she must have busted me on my phone every single time oh, she walked kidding. in the booth. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. She was like, you're on your phone. I was like, I'm texting clients. F off. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I I just I seriously do have clients that uh, mm -hmm. are too. You do have people that are too nervous to talk mm -hmm. uh, face to face and they'll text you after they leave the booth. I've had that, too. 20 minutes I've later. actually made sales from my phone. While people are walking through the show to somebody it, who went home and measured and they said, I want it, send me a link. I want to pay for it now. So I get it. Absolutely. I mean, it happens honestly more often than not. I've had people ask me questions about pieces 10 minutes after they've left the booth. They're like, I was really interested in this. And um, hey, here's one for you and uh, and your lovely wife, because sure. I know you guys are a partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you guys handle photographs in your booth? If I've had a conversation with somebody and they are expressing interest. Um, I don't wait for them to ask. I say it because I pretty much assume if they're looking at an expensive piece, a collection for a wall or something, I assume it's going to involve a little bit of thinking and planning right. and maybe going home and measuring. So I always make it uh, easy for them to say, hey, and feel free if you want to take any photos of anything with your phone, go for it. So yeah, I, I, I'm not concerned that somebody's going to rip me off and try and copy what we're doing. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's trickier with 2D. Sure, um, definitely, definitely trickier with uh, photography mm -hmm. or digital too. If you have a high, I mean, so many people have high resolution phones mm. that you can take a picture of it. I actually had somebody on my Facebook page tell their friend, like mm. on my page, on my Facebook page, posted. I took a picture of this guy's work last year and took it to the printer and printed it. And now I have my own. Oh, my God. Like, they just said that. Right. Like, they and didn't I'm even like, well, know that was a problem. Yeah. Like, that they're like, just save yourself some money and, and print your own. That being said, I'm still Mr. Take a picture whenever you want. I don't have I, I, I don't ever say I've said this a bunch of times on the show, but I try never to say no. Sure. Right. Like even if somebody asks me the stupidest question you've ever heard, is this watercolor or is this photography? And I'm like, well, that's flattering. Um, and I always say yes, even if they're wrong. I'm not lying to them. I even I, I say they're wrong by saying, yes, I can see how you uh, think that it might be photography. I'm actually hand drawing all of this and my line work is such. But if you get up a little closer, you can see the brushwork in my paints and my inks. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm never saying no, because I feel like the no is the turnoff. It's kind of that. Um, and I know you've said uh, detracting things about this guy before, mm -hmm. but the Bruce Baker tapes. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's a whole sales thing. And he's made his money and, and cut his teeth on on uh, sales and teaching artists how to sell. Mm -hmm. I, I've come up on a lot of that stuff. Uh, my I, wife's listened to those. I think there's a merit in, in some of the things he says. Some of the things kind of yeah. make my you know hair stand up on the back of my neck but yeah yeah it's some of it's super cheesy but i i mean there's so many great things about it but um i definitely 
do that thing where I'm like, I try not to be negative in my booth or um, I try to be, you know, everything's like a yes or everything's like a- I've witnessed you turn yourself into pretzels trying to get a yes out of some of these comments, like the whole- I think you said once somebody asked if your work was decoupage. You're like, it does look like decoupage. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's a very similar technique. And then you describe the technique that doesn't have anything to do with decoupage. Right. Um, Which is fine. I don't care. Again, they're just trying to make a connection. So don't take the stupid comments too seriously. Unless unless they're, you know, sometimes, like my wife pointed out, sometimes... Mm -hmm. They're just trying to be mean. Yeah. If they're just being mean, um, I think they're they're maybe more mean to her than they are to me because mm. I'm the big scary man. And uh, <laughs> you might growl at them. <laughs> nah, don't make small talk with a volatile stranger. <laughs> well, we get the. I think I might have even talked about this on the show. Though people will ask about, oh, you must love Chihuly. You must be inspired by Chihuly, just because that's their only Chihuly. glass reference. You know, it is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I try it's... and segue that into talking about what we do without discounting or making it seem like that question was dumb, you know, so. Right. And, and that's the thing. I've made people feel dumb before and there's nothing good about no. it. There really isn't. You're not going to get any laughs. <laughs> and maybe you'll tell your friends that later and they'll get a laugh, but they're like, man, that was dumb. That was harsh. Behind your back. I mean, it's just not a good move. Sure. It really, it throws you off your game. It can spoil, you know, until you shake it off. Right. Um, Just can't do it. So, Another question about uh, selling is uh, an artist wrote in, there's uh, certain markets that she does that aren't like the fine art shows that a lot of us travel to. And it's kind of local and and kind of low commitment. And she was talking about how a customer came into her booth and wasn't expecting something like what she was showing, like it, the quality and the the price was kind okay. of out of the wheelhouse of what they were expecting to encounter that day, but they really liked it and they really wanted it, but they needed more time. And her question right. was, how do I convert that into a sale? How do I you know, get over that kind of unexpected situation that they're experiencing? You know, I, I'm going to use uh, my own experiences with that because I have had similar experiences where somebody just kind of, you know, they hadn't expected to come to the show that day. They didn't know that the show was happening. And then Mm -hmm. they're confronted with a piece of artwork that is a lot more expensive than, you know, they, they weren't thinking they were going to spend any money. And then they fall in love with something that costs it's, that's kind of way out of their budget, but they can still clearly afford it. Right. That makes sense. Like I've done shows, promoter shows where they're like in maybe a mall, like a a outdoor mall. Same kind of deal. They were coming to go to Best Buy to buy a TV, and then they see this cool artwork that they really want to have, right? Yeah. So that kind of thing. Yeah. So the way I do that, I'm like, I I um try to empathize with them, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, I get it. Uh, I don't, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to try to sell, um, you know, this quality museum quality work here on the street, and sometimes people come across it, and you you just tell them more about yourself, and you try to do it genuinely, and you try to do it casually. And you can't try to make the sale, mm-hmm. but just keep talking because they just want to hear more. And at that point, I feel like they just kind of want to know who you are. So tell them. Yeah. Because I've run into those people all the time and I'm like, well, I don't really like showing my work. You know, typically I'm doing a handful of the top 
juried arts festivals around the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided to show in my own hometown. And this is where I'm showing because I want to travel a little bit less. And that's honestly why I moved to mm-hmm. Santa Fe, mm-hmm. because I don't want to, you know, that's that's a very specific answer for her, because sure. I know who you're talking oh, about. right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, well... Look, this is the reason that I'm I'm here, and this is the reason, you know, I was hoping to meet somebody. I was hoping to meet someone like you. Um, <laughs> it was meant to you be. Know, I mean, yeah, you're you're trying to, it's like, there's so many analogies with, with like. Dating, right? Dating, yeah. right? Um, Take me home. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, like you said, if you acknowledge that you understand where they're coming from. You know, like, well, if, if yep. it were me, I would be kind of the same thing. I kind of had my head set on a couch or a TV, wherever I was going to, you know, I wasn't thinking about artwork. And like, and then just keep it, keep the conversation going about what makes you special, <laughs> what makes your work special. Don't say TV again. Why is that TV? Uh, TV. Television? TV. T- it's a t- TV. T- t- TV. T- oh, TV. that was the... Emphasis on the wrong the syllable. Syllable. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, another question kind of tying into that topic about sales is after a show, when you've planted all these seeds or somebody is on the hook for something that is substantial, how do you follow up? How do you not lose that? I feel like the more, and this is this is something I've learned from from friends of ours, but I feel like the the more quickly you follow up, the better, because once they're out of the booth, they're off. It's like fishing. Mm. You know, they've they've it's it's super hard to get them to bite that hook again. Are you saying like that day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they'll leave the booth and I'll even text them and be like, man, I was excited about that talk. I hope you'll let me do something for you. Mm. There was this one client that came in that they'd gone back to get their checkbook and they came back and the piece was gone and they were clearly pretty heartbroken about it. And I texted them immediately and I was like, I've never felt bad about a sale before. I, that made me feel bad about that first sale because you guys were so sad. I, I really hope you'll let me create something special for you that's unique. And the thing is, that's that's very genuine. That's not a lie. Oh, yeah. I mean, no. so I mean, I really I think that bad. when we communicate with people, whether it's afterwards that that needs to be the kernel, that it's a genuine connection. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. And and so often you think something is, a, is you get their contact and they're like, yeah, I definitely want something. And you just never hear back from them again. Mm-hmm. And those are great people to just add to your mailing list and to, to keep on. Or you can be like, hey, this one didn't work out. Uh, if you're not ready for this, you can, um, I, I'm going to add you to my mailing list. And mm-hmm. you can take that mailing list and go as in-depth as you want if you want to take notes. Like, mm. like um, Dolan, in her episode, they talked about how they, they, they create a kind of a database about the collectors and what the collectors even talk about they might be interested in someday, and then they can categorize that. So anybody right. who's kind of like, Wanting to know more about that after sale thing, that's a good episode to check back on. It is. And and I know the Grushchefankos do do similar things, but are 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 different, but it's all it's all super genuine, you know? It's all very mm-hmm. uh it's something that they would say anyway right. to people. Well, my thought here on this one is uh when Julia told me uh in our talk that she Julia fought, Gilmore. Julia Gilmore's uh episode 
uh, which was a few episodes back. Anyway, she yes, said, this season. Yep, this season. Uh, she said if somebody gives her their contact information, that she will follow up, even if she doesn't hear back, until they tell her, I'm not interested anymore, or they buy a painting. She's She sticks with it. How do you feel about that? Uh, like it's dating. I do it exactly like I okay. went back and back along, you know, back in the way back machine. I only asked people out once. Mm. I mean, I really, I, I don't know. Maybe I should follow up a lot more, but I'm kind of like, I you're, send out that email. You're right. The person, different personalities can maybe get away with that. Um, yeah. And well, she's cuter than I am. She's <laughs> way cuter than you will. <laughs> right. I mean, that's let's be honest here, folks. It's, she can. Who's who's bummed out to be hearing from Julia Gilmore? Nobody. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You don't want to like bombard them, but then you don't want to like let them slip through your fingers either, because what if they really are interested? You just either catch them at a bad time or. Oh, I. Definitely yeah. add them to the mailing list. And, and um, I've, I've been known to go back and be like, hey, I thought of you again. Here's a piece. So that that's not true. It's not just exa- it's not one dip at the well. But yeah. I'm not going to hammer people until they they say no. Right. Like <laughs> every day. Are you interested? Are you interested? <laughs> Remember Look what you're about? <laughs> yeah. I was taking a shower this morning and <laughs> began thinking of us and our relationship where we talked about that painting. Okay. I'm getting a little uncomfortable right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's, um, it's getting, it's I getting hot in here. So the nature of what we do, we sell a lot of our work right out of the booth, you know, cash and carry kind of thing. From time to time, we maybe get one or two projects a year that involve designing and planning. I mean, we're talking big projects that add up to multiple shows. So and in those cases, you kind of have to handle that kind of a collector differently than somebody who's maybe putting something in their house over their mantle or something like right. that. And I guess what I've learned doing that over the years is the first part is they're inspired by, you know, what the artist does, and they want that as part of their project. Then the next layer under that is all business. You know, it's all business negotiations. And I have felt at first like I was afraid, like, because now we're talking numbers that are much higher than what, like, you sell in a booth. You kind of become comfortable with a price range of what you can sell and what you can say and what you can maybe push a little too far and then lose it and be like, ah, okay, next time I'll do it differently. But when you're talking bigger numbers, you kind of have to get comfortable with that, that sense of that there's value in what you're creating for them and have confidence in that so that you don't just give away the shop, you know? <laughs> right. And you can, I, I, I like to set it up uh, with those big ones. I've, I've had those too, where I'm like, look, the kind of job that we're talking about, we're talking about the price range between X and X and, and Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's something you're comfortable with, then I think I my next step is going to be to uh, put together a nice proposal for you with, uh, you know, like a Photoshop proposal. I do those quite a bit. And, that's a great um, way to do it because then you know you're not wasting your time when they're really looking for something that is completely out of the, you know, too low of a price point that you wouldn't that you couldn't even consider doing. Right. And you also are giving people the opportunity, like never give them everything, 
you know, mm-hmm. don't put that proposal together. Don't waste your time on the proposal if they're not comfortable with your price range. Right. Also, you know, tell them how excited you are about their space and this. And you're like, I can really see my work in here. If you'll let me, the next step is going to be this and you make it sound mm-hmm. um, tantalizing enough for them to to bite on it. And yeah. I typically like to say those on the phone. I, I hate talking on the phone. Um Yes, I you really do. do. <laughs> yes, I you just, do. <laughs> oh, I hate it. You're I like, just, can you text me? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what are you? Why? Why am I? Why am I talking right now? What's happening? I mean, you'd think, but I just hate talking on the phone. Yeah. And but unfortunately, when you're talking dollar amounts, it's super easy, especially if there's some wiggle room or you're really trying to get a read on people. We are, uh, we all have become excellent poker players yeah. and you can catch a read on somebody more through their voice and what you're kind of putting an inflection on certain things about the piece or whether you you know how you're coming off if you're actually on the phone yeah yeah i mean you can tell from their reaction versus let's say they don't respond to the email or whatever for a while it might just be that they were in a meeting out of town whatever but you we can put our own kind of paranoia on it or worry on it yeah. but voice to voice you can hear if there's like a little catch or a hiccup and yeah. be like uh you're like okay now i know i need to pivot but you can't tell if you need to pivot from from a written form you just really can't right. at all but then you run into people that are like me that don't want to talk on the phone mm-hmm. so sometimes texting or emailing is your only option so do whatever you got to do but i do feel like talk getting down to to numbers and asking for for money a lot of times you need to try to to talk to them definitely now um i I'll, I'll share this is kind of a personal experience about one of our projects over the years and it was it, i'll just put a dollar amount out there it was fifty thousand. what yeah that was a lot it was a lot anyway god damn so sigworth so we we are preparing for this project and as we're starting to go forward I woke up in the middle of the night one night kind of panicked. And I'm like, I've got to have some kind of a something drawn up by a lawyer that oh. A, covers me financially in case they change their mind, they don't like it, what, you know, what recourse they have if it's going in a direction they don't like, how we can pivot, make something different, do different drawings, just the whole financial part, how much you need up front how much installments you need, when the final bill, all that stuff. Because things happen in these big projects. And you're like, if you've already spent that money to make the work you're providing for them, and then they change their mind and they want their money back, that could close a business on dollar amounts like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. You know, my my deals have all typically been handshake deals. Um, mm. They've all been like your deposit. I, I've never, gosh, I, sh- I should probably have that in writing too, like, you know, what your your policy is but like a non-refundable down payment or how much you yeah get back i mean i mean like this is your deposit and then the rest is due upon completion is pretty much all i say mm-hmm. the rest is due upon completion plus shipping um and it, it's different per artist i mean a glass artist we spend a lot on materials up front that then we can't use if it's something custom right similar with jewelry i don't know if other artists feel like their material costs are so much lower that they that it doesn't matter as much to them if they lose mm-hmm. a little bit of the creative period and if they could sell it anyway. You know, that that's a whole different thing you need to decide. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's a similar thing with a with a custom painting. I typically, I mean, the way I handle custom work, and not that not that you asked, but um, hey, Will, how do you handle custom I, work? Oh, that's an interesting <laughs> question, Douglas. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, I the way I handle it is uh, I will tell people that I work, and this is true. I work from a photo reference that I create in Photoshop. So I, you know, what the style of my work looks like. I'll send you the photo reference that I'm going to draw from. Mm-hmm. You approve the photo reference, knowing what my style is, and we go from there. All right. The next question is: An artist had written in about like personal struggles that they have with with keeping their business going as an artist hmm. and and wondering how do you actually know when it's time to throw in the towel and pivot or do something different um, oh from shows and and making artwork from making artwork doing shows like when do you know i mean do you just do you just keep going and just fighting through it and hope something will turn around, or do you do you go with a backup plan? Ugh. Is there any? Ugh. I mean, it's so personal, individual. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Um. Uh. I mean, personally, Gosh, we've hard. had we've had lots of lows, and we have reached some points in our career where we felt like, I wonder if this is going to work out. You know what? I I did it. I did that. I, we did find we did see the writing on the wall, and I had to do something different. So I, oh. I do have an answer. So, so you did do that. That did that did happen for you. Yeah, I actually did do that. Um, okay. So my my previous body of work was very much like autumnally shaded geometric abstracts, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was you know B plus to C shows that we do and grind it out and. Um, it just became something where you'd see it everywhere. You'd see that kind of look everywhere. These blocks of color, whether it was on, mm-hmm. I mean, even the wall in like a movie set because, or even like at Pier 1, you'd see it. And it was just, it was time. I mean, the writing was on the wall. The, our, the, the work was on other people's stores. It just was like, it just was unoriginal and, and it got really boring. Okay. And I had to draw from my illustration background and and change my body of work. So that's why I changed the body of work when I did cuz it just it it had stopped selling. So mm-hmm. if you have a um was that scary to start to step into something new or was it, it uh, was exhilarating? Scarier to go to shows and and that you used to be making uh you know a certain amount of money and and make a third of it. It was that mm. was what was scary and you have all these bills and commitments. So I find a lot of artists to be to be very inspirational. I see people changing their body of work all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Dylan Straczynski's uh, sculptures are incredibly exciting right now to see that body of work and right. uh, museum quality work that is uh, really really blows me away. He's he completely changed from his paintings and yeah. Um, and it, it just if you have a body of work that's not selling. You know when the deadlines for the next shows are. Create three or four different pieces. You you already have the shows lined up, so create some new work and see if it sticks. I remember in Daryl Thetford's talk with you first oh, season, yeah. where he was thinking about branching off into a new body of work, and he had a couple of pieces at a show just kind of like in the back, leaning against, and he saw the reaction, and they just happened upon it, and that started a whole new a new thing. So... 
you can kind of introduce them into a show. I mean, you can't like show up and have that be your whole new body of work, you know, when you've juried in with different stuff. But you can at least start to gauge people's reaction if, as you're pivoting your work if it's gonna if it's gonna work with the audience. Sure. Well, um, I I feel like we had a, a kind of a major struggle, and it wasn't because of the art shows. I mean, the art shows were what they were, and we had kind of a life pivot. You know, um, our son got sick; he got diabetes. Hmm. Oh man! And that totally changed our whole world. Because this was before the Affordable Care Act and the self-employed health insurance companies were writing exclusions into their their policies. Yeah. And we had no idea that after he got diabetes that this was one of those diseases they were going to exclude. So, okay, so what does that mean for us? What is it going to cost? Well, we realized it was going to cost us about... $10,000 a year for his care. And that was at a minimum. You know, there was, if if things weren't stabilized, there was going to be hospitalizations and stuff, which could double and triple that. So I'm like, there's no way we can do this on an artist's salary. And so I started investigating other options. I thought about going to school to be an art teacher or to teach glass blowing and and figure out just for the health insurance benefits. Um, so yeah. I, I recognize those those challenges that that people have out there. But luckily, things started changing. You know, Wisconsin passed laws that allowed all children to be covered. So he was able to go on state health care and then Affordable Care Act help it, happened. And we were able to keep doing what we love doing. And it worked for us. But that was our lowest of lows with knowing if if we were going to have to give up this career that we worked so hard to build up to that point. Yeah. Or, or him, you know, mm-hmm. just drop him off at the fire department and uh, best of luck, son. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to go. Too soon. Now we got to do what we got to do, soon, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> never too soon. You've met me. Oh man. Yeah. It's hard. It's a struggle. How much more do we have on the on the docket? Do we have any more questions we want to run through? That that wraps up everything that we've had, you know, sent in. And we really appreciate I mean, some things you and I probably take a little bit for granted just because mm. we live it. And every, you for know, sure. as you and I start talking about about these topics, it's like, oh, yeah. And then there's this and then there's that. This kind of segment and these questions are the kind of things that Douglas and I really want to work into the show. The more interactive the show becomes, I feel like the stronger it gets. Definitely. So uh, please don't be shy and and reach out and and have your if you have any queries, <laughs> uh, please don't be shy and reach out. Douglas, what's the best way to do that? Sir? Our email, which is independentartistpodcast at gmail.com. We will uh, read those and uh, we love talking about it because it, it, you know, like you You've said this plenty of times. Well, wind us up and listen oh, yeah. to what we have to say. <laughs> Turn the key in the back of the giant Ken doll and see what he says. Well, we have a lot to do. We've got a big show coming up here, so we should probably uh, stop talking and get back to work. What do you say? Get back to work. Renee's already in the studio. She's cussing you. So get back out there and help that poor woman out. Yep, yeah. We got all of our blowing done this morning, Will. And now this afternoon, we're going to be in our basement studio grinding away gross i have a good time with that that? no nothing (laughs) nothing (laughs) no i don't it's not even 
Vaguely tempted. <laughs> Not going to say a thing about it. All right, all right folks, everyone. it's a pleasure as always. Let's uh, let's get back to work, all of us, and, and we'll put a fork in this episode. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. There's some exciting things coming down the pike. All right. Take care, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, find us on social media and engage in these conversations. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. Oh, and if you like the show, we'd love it if you would give us your five-star rating and offer up your most creative review on your podcast streaming service. See you next time.